Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 145, Benedict IX. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. Okay, guys, today's Pope. Today's story is going to help answer a question that I am sure is nagging you. I bet it's been nagging you since the very first episode. If you've been listening from the beginning, it was two or three years ago. And I know it's been bothering me. Remember way, way back then, I said 264 popes, but maybe you've heard something along this line in the past couple years. Night of excitement and a night of firsts. 1.2 billion Catholics rejoice as the 266th Pope is chosen. Why is it that Francis is called the 266th Pope if, at the time of this recording, there are only 264? Well, today we are going to learn the reason for the discrepancy with the numbers. And that comes with Benedict IX. Benedict IX was born Theophylact, the son of Albrecht III, the Count of Tusculum, and thus the nephew of Benedict VIII and John XIX. This, then, is the third Tusculani pope in a row, and the seventh pope descended from the original Theophylact, the Count of Tusculum. As you've come to realize over the last couple episodes, the papacy at this time is focused on worldly power, and powerful Roman families sought it for that reason. So when John the 19th died, his brother, Albrecht III, naturally wanted to keep the control of the papacy in the family and secured the election of his son, Theophylact, in October of 1032. Now, we're not certain about this, but it seems like Theophylact, who took the name Benedict IX, was around 20 to 25 years old at the time of his consecration as Bishop of Rome. With previous young and scandalous popes, we have to be a little bit careful about the sources we read. There was a temptation to gin up the charges against him and make things even more scandalous and even worse than they were. There are certainly exaggerations by those who hated the pope, and the temptation to tell those wild stories was great. But that being said, Benedict IX, like previous youthful popes before him, was not a great pope. He wasn't a good pope. Benedict was known to have lived a scandalous, worldly, and promiscuous life, more focused on the political than the spiritual. And he, like John Twelfth before him, who was also a young, worldly pope, got into trouble often. Now, the sources are a little unclear about this, but it seems like our first major event in his papacy happened in 1036, when apparently there was an attempt on his life by the Roman nobles, and he was expelled from the city of Rome. He moved north and he met with the Emperor Conrad II at the city of Cremona, who helped him return to Rome in 1038. Conrad moved his forces into southern Italy, hoping to subdue to imperial authority the various principalities in the southern half of the peninsula. However, in 1039, he died of the plague, along with many of his troops and his son, Henry III, took over as king of the Germans. Now, we don't know that much about what happened after his return to Rome in 1038, other than that Benedict IX was just a brutal ruler. He was adulterous, he was conniving, and he caused the people of Rome in general to suffer. So not only is he a bad pope spiritually, but he's a bad political ruler in Rome itself. So in 1044, the Roman people themselves rose up and drove him a second time out of the city after a fierce battle between the various factions in Rome at the Porto Santo Spirito in January of 1045. Now, this time, the Romans were just done with Benedict, and they decided to elect in his place a new pope, John the Bishop of Sabina, who took the name Sylvester III. Now, this is another case of us not being sure what to make of a 
of this pope? Is he legit or is he an anti-pope? You can make a good case either way, but the Annuario Pontifica, which is the official list of popes from the Vatican, includes him. And that's the list I've been following in these podcasts. So Sylvester III will get his own very brief episode next week. Benedict didn't last that long in exile. He had run to his family's headquarters in Tusculum, which is not that far from modern Frascati and not that far from the city of Rome. And there he had gathered together his allies. So only after about two months, later in 1045, he returned to Rome, he exiled Sylvester III, and he returned to power as Pope. And here's where the numbering really goes off the rails, because in the official list, this period starting in 1045 is listed as Benedict IX's second term as Pope. On the big posters of all the popes or in St. Paul's outside the walls, you see his portrait twice with Sylvester in between. And guess what? It gets worse going forward because apparently Benedict IX was not happy as pope. He's beginning to realize that, frankly, he wasn't that good at it and the people of Rome didn't like him and that perhaps he was living a very immoral and evil life and that everyone was ashamed that this guy, Benedict, was our pope. At this time, he apparently started falling in love with his cousin, and he began to think about dropping the whole boat business altogether and settling down and getting married. So the young girl's father, Gerard of Saxo, said that the only way this marriage is going to happen is if Benedict IX resigned wholeheartedly the papacy and then was just a private citizen. Benedict wasn't quite sure of what to do, so he went to his godfather, who was the Cardinal Archpriest of St. John at Porta Latina, a wise and holy man by all accounts named John Gratian. So he goes to his godfather and he tells him all this. You know what? I'm sick of being Pope. I'm thinking about getting married to my cousin. Uh, Her father says I have to resign. What should I do? And so his godfather, John Gratian, says to him, you know what? That's a really good idea. You really stink at being Pope. You should totally resign. Please, please, please do it. John Gratian, as I mentioned, was a reformer. He was a holy guy, and he was ashamed of Benedict's conduct as Pope. And he, of course, wanted, like all the Romans, get him out of here. And if he'll do it willingly, then that sounds great. But Benedict says, yeah, but in order to get married and resign, I'm going to need some cash. I'm going to need something to live off of. And John Gratian says, how much? And Benedict says, a lot. And John Gratian thinks a bit, and he weighs the options. Giving Benedict some gold to get out of Rome looks a little sketchy, but Benedict's a disaster in the papacy. He's subverting the church. The people hate him. He's an immoral dumpster fire of a pope. And so he says, okay, let's find the money. Apparently, they agreed to give Benedict all the Peter's Pence collection from England, about a thousand pounds of gold, on May 1st, 1045. And Benedict resigned and moved to the country, and John Gratian, a good man and a reformer, was elected pope in his stead and took the name Gregory VI. And we will talk about his papacy in two weeks. But that's still not the end of the story because Benedict got bored in retirement and the marriage didn't turn out well. And fairly quickly, he regretted his decision to resign altogether, and he threw his name back into the ring for the papacy. And this caused a whole bunch of confusion in Italy since Gregory VI was pope, Benedict was claiming he was Pope, and Sylvester III was still hanging around saying, wait a second, don't forget about me. I was elected Pope back a while ago, and I'm still Pope. I won't give the whole story here about what happened because Benedict didn't show up, but basically Henry III came down from Germany, and at the Council of Sutri, he convinced Sylvester and Gregory to abdicate and declared Benedict deposed, and then he elected a new Pope, Clement II, and we'll talk about Clement II in three weeks. But that's still not the end of the story, because Benedict wasn't going to give up that easily. 
When Clement II died in 1047 and Henry III happened to be away, he saw, oh, this is my opportunity. He swooped down from Tusculum. He plied the people with a lot of gold and he was, quote unquote, elected pope again on November 8th, 1047. And he is listed in the official list of the pope a third time following Gregory VI and Clement II which now explains why people say 266 popes when there were really only 264. Benedict IX is listed three distinct times. Now, you can bet that this won't end well for Benedict because when Henry III came back to Rome in July of 1048, his troops quickly kicked out our three non-consecutive term pope back back out of Rome, and the Romans elected a new pope, Damasus II, who we will talk about in four weeks. But... He is still not dead. Some sources attribute to Benedict IX the death of Damas II. They said that he had been poisoned not long after he was elected pope, but that's still just speculation. St. Peter Damien, who was a prominent monk at the time and who we'll hear about plenty of times, claims that he never repented and that Benedict IX was buried in hell. But apparently there could have been a happy ending to this story. And in this version, supposedly after his third stint as Pope, Benedict IX went to the Abbey of Grotta Ferrata, where the abbot took him in, and he lived out the rest of his days in penitence in the abbey. There's certainly a long tradition associating Benedict with this abbey, and in the biography of Luke the abbot of Grotta Ferrata, we hear about how he instructed the former Pope on how to reform his wayward life. We are not sure precisely if this happened and when this happened. But according to Horace Mann, one of the dying prayers of St. Leo IX, who we'll talk about in five weeks, was, Great God, convert to thyself Theophylactus, Gregory, and Peter, Benedict and his two brothers, who fostered the heresy of Simon well nigh throughout the world. Make them so know the way of truth that they may leave their errors and turn to thee. Horace Mann suggests that perhaps this dying prayer was spiritually the cause of Benedict's conversion and life of penance meaning that Benedict would have died sometime between 1054 and 1065. He was buried most likely in the Abbey of Grotta Ferrar, where you can still see a monument dedicated to him, and which is believed to be his tomb. And now we know why there's this discrepancy of numbering. There are only 264 popes, but one of them is counted three times. And now we have to go back and tell the stories of the popes we rushed through in Benedict's long, convoluted history, starting with Sylvester III, we will talk about next week. Thanks for listening to Habemus Papam. You can check out the rest of the Catholic Bites podcast at catholicbitespodcast.com. There you can find all of our other talks. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe. You can leave a review, which really helps people discover the show. Thank you and God bless you. <laughs>